Lingua Britannica is a podcast that uses ethnographic interviews to study language use in the extreme metal community. We are studying a music scene known for its love of themes and topics generally considered offensive, and it is likely that some episodes will touch on topics or opinions some listeners may find tasteless or ethically problematic. Ethnographic researchers aim to adopt the interviewee's point of view so that we can draw out and study the attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are important to them. We want to make it clear that in presenting these conversations here, we do not endorse any of their content. Our aim is to explore the thought processes behind language use in this long-running international and yet understudied scene. Welcome back to Lingua Brutalica with me, Jess Bernie-Smith, and my co-host, Wes Robertson. Hello. In this episode, we're once again dipping out of the New Zealand metal scene for a brief moment and chatting to Steve Bosher, uh, the vocalist of several bands, including Inferi, Ashen Horde, Equipose, and Tethys that stretch across the United States, right? Uh, yes. Uh, well, across North America, technically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our, our bass player for Equipoise, Hugo, uh, lives in Canada. Um, he's also in Beyond Creation really Mm -hmm. great guy (laughs) (laughs) awesome well thanks so much for making the time to chat with us today we're really stoked to get into it i think this is the first time we've talked to someone who's in so many different bands (laughs) um so uh as you probably know right uh we usually start our interviews off by just asking our guests to describe their music for somebody Mm -hmm. who's you know never heard of it before um i realize that's potentially a bit of a herculean task in your case because you're going (laughs) to describe four bands but if you wouldn't mind just giving us like the cliff notes of you know what each band is about and then maybe like we can chat about you know what's similar what's different about them in a general sense yeah totally um so uh first and foremost there is inferi and inferi is kind of a polymerization of um, like very uh, melody driven technical death metal. Um, it's very classically influenced. Uh, next up, uh, Ashen Horde is definitely more on the black metal end of the spectrum, um, has elements of death metal in it, uh, elements of like um, kind of like rock. Uh, so it's sort of like a black and roll kind of deal, um, but we like to mix it up with a lot of different things. Uh, Equipoise is also like a, a pretty melodic technical death metal band. Um, I would say that Equipoise and Inferi, while in a similar spectrum, have very different fingerprinting. So it's pretty easy to tell the two of them apart. And uh, lastly, we have my band Tethys who is a little heavier than all of the other stuff that I uh, am a part of currently. Um, Definitely utilize like kind of more uh, sort of like chug uh, or just like heavy riffage, I guess, uh, in those songs. So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Um, When you first started listening to metal, did you start with such a diversity or like how did you get into the genre itself and and eventually expand into, you know, interested death metal, black metal, progressive, technical, etc.? So this is kind of a funny answer. My first exposure to metal was actually from Dragon Ball Z. I had (laughs) got got this movie. Uh, It was Cooler Returns. And so uh, it's Frieza's brother coming back to extract vengeance on 
um, you know, Goku and the crew. And in the movie, there are actually songs from Deftones, Disturbed and Drowning Pool. And I remember hearing it and just being like, man, getting like really pumped up listening to this and <laughs> just kind of like looked at the back of my VHS because I'm 800 years old and I saw the band names listed on there. Uh, the kid that lived across the street from me at the time I knew was into metal. So I asked him if he knew of any of the bands and he actually let me borrow a couple of their CDs uh, along with Slipknot's self-titled album. And that was kind of the okay. thing that, that got me into metal initially. Uh, I kind of stayed in the new metal spectrum for a while. Um, and then beginning of high school, I think freshman year, another friend of mine burnt me a CD that was the first half of it was Cephalic Carnage's Anomalies. And the second half was Origins Echoes of Decimation. And so I just kind of went from listening to a bunch of new metal bands like Slipknot and Corn and System of a Down and stuff like that straight into Cephalic Carnage and Origin and Cannibal Corpse and stuff like that. Uh, wasn't really a very gradual transition. So <laughs> I, I, I missed a lot of those classic bands that mm. people kind of get into like death and stuff like that and did not go back to listen to those things until like way later. <laughs> yeah, new metal to origin is a pretty heavy jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember the thing that got me initially was I was just like, how are there, you know, at the time I thought Joey Jordanson was like the fastest drummer. Mm. And, and then there were just like all of these crazy blast beats and gravity blasts and stuff like that. And I was just trying to wrap my head around how their drummers could even play that fast. So it kind of just blew my mind. And, mm. um, you know, I kept coming back for more. <laughs> awesome. So like, when you were getting into all these different styles and stuff, did you actually pay attention to any of the lyrical content? Um, so initially, I remember being kind of put off by it, which mm. is pretty hilarious mm. <laughs> considering my position now. But I was always just like, man, what what the heck is this guy saying? Like, what's going on? Um, and, you know, when I started out listening to more of like the new metal stuff, it was much easier to digest. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot more enunciation, um, a lot less vocal distortion and stuff. So uh, but over time, there were songs like I kind of just gradually started to mock the sounds that I heard. And then I would go to Google and like look up the lyrics mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. or, you know, the things that I would buy like records of. I would pull out my little lyric book and um, just kind of go along. So uh, I think I mean. Cephalic Carnage and Origin would be like the earliest ones that I was really kind of learning um, how to do vocals along to. And uh, yeah, like a little bit later down the line, I started finding bands that lyrically I found really interesting and kind of branched off and started learning those things and uh, just sort of taking cues about the things that I enjoyed uh, about the way their songs were written. Whose lyrics first kind of caught you as, as interesting rather than a turnoff? Um, I mean, Cephalic plays with some some really weird concepts and stuff like that, especially anomalies. But I would say that in terms of just kind of had me hooked and wanting more and I would read them again and again, uh, definitely bands like the Black Dahlia Murder. I think mm. Trevor does a really excellent job writing songs that stand 
on their own away from the music. You know, like if I were to just pick up something of theirs and read it, it reads just kind of like um, sort of and I don't mean this in like the, the super emotional sense, but sort of just like a dark kind of poetry vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The same can be said for Arsis. Uh, James Malone's work is super awesome. I, you know, got really into a lot of like Arsis's kind of stuff, especially because he does some pretty interesting wordplay and then also kind of crafts these metaphors and similes that uh, like the promise of never or a diamond for disease. And then they, you know, hold their place on the album or the EP, but then he has callbacks to them and later things that kind of give it a different context. So I always found that really interesting. Um, Tommy from Between the Bear to Me was another one because mm. they they do a bit more kind of stream of consciousness sort of deal. But I would say also that that was kind of um, a huge thing for me with concept albums. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of concept records and that's something that I have kind of drifted into a lot with uh, doing stuff for Inferi and... Um, for Tethys and Equipoise <laughs> as well. Um, Ashen Horde kind of dabbles in it a, a, a bit also. So that's definitely a huge influence. And then funnily, funny enough, um, in Fury, before I ever joined the band, yeah. uh, they put out this record called The End of an Era. And I remember just reading Josh and Malcolm's lyrics. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like these are so catchy. The areas that they choose to put rhymes make things really easy to recall um, and and just kind of keep you coming back for more. So it's kind of funny how that worked out, but totally a thing. Awesome. And considering that you really like, you know, the wordplay and um, like concept approach to lyric writing, I mean, how do you feel then about um, bands whose lyrics might be, you know, what we might consider more generic in metal? Um, I mean, I think everything has a place. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, especially I think the things that sort of uh, play on a lot of quote unquote cliches Mm -hmm. have a a really great draw with pulling people in that maybe are just starting out or like not that familiar or even just kind of have the ability to take uh, an emotion or some sort of expression and like cast a really wide net. So a lot Mm -hmm. of people get into it. Personally, it's not necessarily my favorite thing. There are definitely bands that I've kind of been put off uh, by of like, you know, I I go to like actually read into the lyrics and I'm like, oh, should not have done that. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Always (laughs) the way. (laughs) You you know, yeah. I mean, it's it's bound to happen. Plus, you know, like different strokes, different people like different things. Um, So that's that's kind of my two cents on it, I guess. Hmm. Do you think it's possible to tell um, within these broad strokes, like me- lyrics that are metal from lyrics that are not metal? Um, if we're painting with broad strokes, I would say yes. I mean, you know, there are definitely going to be corner cases for each genre. Um, w- one example, I guess, like uh, if you were looking at, um, you know, once you, I feel like once you get into different subgenres, like prog metal bands and stuff like that, Mm. I feel like that might not be as easy to distinguish from, you know, like other genres that are out there, like things maybe that are a a bit more rock based or some of that kind of like really far out there pop stuff. Um, But if it's 
if we're talking about just straight up death metal or like brutal death or anything like that, I feel like they're pretty distinguishable. Like they've have, uh, very different fingerprinting. And considering that, you know, you said that, you know, your trajectory uh, in discovering metal was like quite sharp turns. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do you feel like your kind of understanding of like what is and what isn't metal has changed over time? Um, the further in I get, I would definitely say that there are, it's one of those things we're constantly still learning about stuff. Uh, I've definitely come across bands that have concepts or like even lines that I have found to be a bit bizarre. I guess it, one, one example uh, <laughs> would be on, um, there's this Karak Angren album and like historically, a lot of their stuff has kind of been based around uh, different ghost stories and mm -hmm. like crazy kind of pirate stuff. But then they put out this record a few years ago called This Is No Fairy Tale yeah. and is a bit of a departure lyrically from the rest of their material because it's grounded much more in real life. And so there is this one passage uh, where it sort of drifts into things um, and the main character is like wailing for their mother. And uh, once I kind of got into that section, the music was like, really really epic sounding and uh his voice becomes very emphatic but then just like the lyrical content of it was like oh i never would have anticipated that like if i read this on paper right now i would not be like oh yes this is these are symphonic black metal lyrics <laughs> so uh there's definitely surprises to be had and i think that um a lot of people tend to pigeonhole what they believe death metal lyrics and concepts to be, you know, a, a large amount of it is they just think it's about gore or about mm. Satan or whatever. Um, but I feel like the spectrum is actually much wider than a lot of people give it credit for. Do you personally ever, when you're writing lyrics, worry about like whether or not they're metal enough? Have you ever like deleted something because you're like, oh, that just isn't metal or anything like that? Or are you do you not concern yourself with that at all? I don't really concern myself with that. I tend to focus more on the story and how I feel the pacing for what I'm trying to get through is going. Um, I can definitely say that I've scrapped a lot of stuff because I felt that the pacing was off or uh, I get to a punch too quickly. And um, lyrically, I don't think it lines up with uh, delivering the message the way the music is trying to deliver a message. So I've definitely done a fair amount of that or, you know, scrap things because uh, I end up using words that I don't like. And mm. I then I'm like, cool, how can I express this with less syllables or with more syllables or, you know, thing, things like that. But I, I don't really concern myself too much with making sure that, um, you know, the lyrics sound metal. Mm. How do you decide you don't like a word? Uh, so typically... There are a couple different things. The main one is if it fits the pattern that I have written. I tend to go through songs and I'll listen again and again and again. And um, I kind of view death metal vocals as more of a percussive thing than sort of mm -hmm. being like a, like it's something that definitely helps drive the song forward, but I don't view them as necessarily being the same sort of 
portion of a song as like uh, vocals in hip hop or vocals in pop. Mm. Um, so usually when I write stuff, I'll go through and I'll map out like where my syllables are going to fall. And then I tend to fill those spaces in with words as I'm going. So if I do need to go back and tweak something, it's usually because, um, you know, I need more or less syllables in order to make the patterns that I have fit. Um, or sometimes it doesn't have the right sort of resolution with the rhyming scheme or, um, certain types of wordplay. And then, I mean, also sometimes there are just words that sound a little, uh, like a little too harsh or perhaps not harsh enough, depending on, mm. you know, just the way that your, the way that your mouth makes the sound. Some mm. things sound more or less harsh than others. Okay. Right. So like, is that more in terms of like the actual like phonology, like the sounds themselves, or is that like harsh in terms of like content of the word? Um, so that would definitely be like the, the first one. Um, okay. Just, yeah. You know, you're like, kind of broken into phonetic sounds like uh -huh. k, k is very hard or um s's tend to linger quite a bit especially me i i'm a slurry esser um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah okay interesting and i suppose we also wanted to know like um when you approach your like lyric writing process like what's in what's involved with it if you could kind of break that down yeah. So uh, for writing lyrics, typically what I'll do is um, I've been working on a lot of concept records uh, mm -hmm. or EPs like of Sunless Realms. And so usually the process starts by me just listening to the song again and again, and then things will just kind of pop out at me. Um, different potential uh, patterns that I can do in spots will pop out. And then I will sort of pick the things that I like and just start mapping from there. Lyrically, um, if I'm writing something that is going to be stretched over multiple songs, uh, I usually like to sit down and come up with like, cool, this idea spans X amount of songs. These are the arcs of the story. And then I will dedicate, cool, this song needs to take up this area of the story and so on and so forth. And then once I have that, I can actually break it down and be like, cool, I know this song gets from A to B. So I can sit down and kind of start playing with things a little more that way. Is that a process you've been doing since you started writing lyrics for the first time? Or is it something you've developed as you've kind of, uh, you know, participated in all these bands and become more active as a, as a metal singer? It's definitely something that I have developed over time. I used to do this thing that would cause me to get stuck where I would try never to write forward. I would always, I would just start at, you know, the zero second and I would always just write linearly until I um kind of hit a wall and then I'd be like oh crap I'm 30 seconds into this song and I've been sitting here for an hour and a half and I have no new words um but that's where I would leave it over over time I have definitely adapted to the model of mapping out the vocal patterns first before I um put down words because I've also noticed that if I tend to write first, I become married to these lines that I have written, or I just become so invested in it that I can't imagine it another way. And then it doesn't fit over the parts that I have. And then, you know, I find myself caught in this struggle of like, man, do I, uh, do I risk, 
using this line that I have that I really enjoy and the delivery of it not be that great? Or do I cycle through a bunch of different things until I can figure if this idea comes across the same way that I have it written in this other section? So I've tried to get away from that because in situations like that, I become kind of hopelessly indecisive. <laughs> and uh, then I sort of just end up grinding uh, or like uh, spinning my gears mm. for hours and accomplishing nothing. So yeah, it's definitely uh, something that's grown over time. Right. And like, um, do you have a lot of independence from the rest of your bands in like writing the lyrics or do they have input? Like what's the relationship like with the lyric writing process? So uh, it's kind of a little bit different for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. I guess uh, for in theory, uh, Malcolm and I are kind of ones that have the main back and forth there. Everybody else will kind of look things over and, um, you know, if they, for whatever reason, are unhappy with something, say something about it. Uh, but everything that I have done with in theory, the process has pretty much been uh, Malcolm and I will talk about concepts and be like, okay, cool. This is what we like. And then I will put pen to paper and demo stuff out. Um, you know, type up my lyrics, send it to the band, uh, or send it to Malcolm and him and I will kind of go from there. Um, for Ashen Horde, Trevor actually writes the majority of the lyrics and I just do the framework and put them over and I will, um, fill in spaces as needed just to make sure that, uh, you know, I have vocals in all of the spots that I want them, or if I need to bridge anything by adding words, I'll definitely do that. I have written a couple songs for the band. Um, only one of them has been released. We have a record that we're waiting to put out. Uh, so that'll have a couple more of those. With Tethys, it is uh, more of a collaborative effort for sure. Um, typically the same thing, they'll all kind of write stuff, send it out, Everybody in the band will let me know what their feedback is, what they like or dislike about it, and then we'll move from there. And then with Equipoise, I kind of just have free reign over mm. stuff. No one really says anything. Uh, I think when we recorded Demiurgis, there was like one section where Nick was like, I think there's too many words in this one spot. And it was kind of funny because that was like the one thing that I had written for the record that I was like, really know if I like mm. that so he kind of <laughs> just con <laughs> confirmed what I expected which was cool it is nice to have that feedback especially if there is something that you're unsure about with Ashen Horde is it um ever kind of weird or tricky to get into singing lyrics that somebody else has written not really um I thought that it was going to be kind of weird at first but it's been pretty smooth over the years that I have like been in the band. The way that it started, um, I actually had uh, Trevor had just like some vocal demos for the first two songs that I ever did for them. And so it was literally just me listening to these songs that he demoed out and like doing finalized versions of them. And then from there, it became um, him just sending me lyrics in rough time stamps of like, this is kind of what I have in mind for like, you know where these parts should be but then i'll go through and modify things i'll add things and it's been uh very uh it's been positively received so that's worked out pretty well right and so when you said you like actually kind of uh i suppose impose the framework on the lyrics that trevor writes what does that actually involve like so beyond just like the editing and stuff yeah um so typically 
I'll just get like a sheet of what he has. And the cool thing about it too, is that he'll usually put in like a synopsis of, you know, this is kind of the story or this is a piece of the story okay. that we're mm -hmm. trying to convey in this song and have like certain emotions or tones that are put into that. And then the rest of it is just like the lyrics that he's written. So usually I'll just listen to the song. I'll map out my parts and stuff like that as far as um, what I think the vocal melody should be. And then I'll take his words and kind of stretch them over. If I need more or less, I'll add to it or I'll cut from it. And then I'll layer up my harmonies and stuff like that. And um, there, there have been a number of instances where I've written just like, you know, a couple sections that I feel are missing or could be better flushed out with vocals or like different vocalizations of things. How do you just, find like navigating between all these approaches? Like it seems like it'd be really difficult, I suppose, like just for me, like trying to conceptualize it, like working from like in one space where you have complete, almost complete freedom to, you know, write whatever you like versus in another space where you'll, you know, have to, you know, manage the input of other band members. How do you find that? It's actually pretty easy and I like it. Um, it it's, it's part of what makes being in multiple projects rewarding in a way is just because I have a little bit of a different workspace. So mm. Uh, mm. Before, the, before the chat started, Wes and I were kind of nerding out about Magic the Gathering. And so I guess a really good analogy for this is kind of the format that we play, EDH, where right. you have these limitations, but because you know you have these limitations, you are able to create a, there's a different sense of creative freedom because you have to work around certain approaches. So I think that it's a situation like that where, um, you know, I'm not fighting 100% for creative control in every <laughs> single project that I'm doing because one, things eat up time. And, you know, sure. like I, I, I absolutely love writing songs, but it's like kind of a labor of love. Sometimes there are things that like I'll, I'll sit there for hours and I'll be like, sick, I've got like, 40 really solid words cool. <laughs> but then but then there are other days where it just pours out and I'm like oh man what do, what do I cut can I cut anything like well, what do I do with this so having uh sort of different positions of control within these different projects is in itself a fun creative exercise and then you know I don't always feel like 100% of it is just completely on me all of the time which is nice that analogy made perfect sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into um, specific uh, lyrical choices, though, just broadly speaking, um, a lot of research has talked about metal kind of being distant from lyrics, especially research in the early days of kind of the horror movie style thing. And you mentioned mm -hmm. already um, in this interview, kind of telling a story and creating a narrative of when you write lyrics, do you feel that they are kind of just self-contained stories or do you generally want to convey something concrete and I suppose real is not the right term, but uh, practical or like related to the day-to-day -to, -day to the people that are listening to your uh, music? So that's something, again, that sort of varies from project to project. Mm. So um, I tend to play with a lot of fantasy and sci-fi but I usually try to integrate concepts that do relate to day-to-day -day on mm -hmm. some point. Um, so I guess an example of this would be um, when I was writing Whispers of Creation for Tethys uh, with a song called Astral Transcendence and um, the chorus 
is can you imagine what our lives would be if we focused on progress and not on profits and it sort of integrate or it alternates sorry between uh profits in the monetary form and profits in the theological form mm. um and you know the ep itself it deals largely with like just like crazy space concepts and stuff like that but that was a thing that i used to sort of anchor that in something that you know people could understand in day-to-day -day life like rather than focusing on progressing as a whole people are completely enamored with the idea of just like wealth hoarding and bling or you know are are kind of buried in different sort of like religious environments that, that maybe kind of keep them a, a little sheltered or uh contained within their position in society we actually singled out that line to specifically ask about later so it's kind of cool that it came up um oh cool naturally yeah. <laughs> sweet and do you feel personally that your songs are a reflection of um i suppose your personal experiences like do you feel like you know for instance when you're singing about like i me like that that's you sometimes yes sometimes no uh in the context of like different sort of conceptual things i do like to build characters so sometimes it is i mean it's definitely coming from me but like the sometimes the viewpoint shifts of you know me as this person i created in a situation um versus just like how i feel broadly so our first kind of question more specifically about some of the lyrics you've written um, is kind of a base one because you're the first vocalist we've talked to that joined their band after they'd already released a number of albums. Mm -hmm. So when you first started writing for Inferi, did you feel any pressure to like match the styles or themes that you saw on their previous albums, like to create kind of a, a continuity in lyrical style? Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so the, the first thing, um, the first thing that I recorded for Inferior was actually the end of an era rebirth, which was super special because uh, the end of an era was the first thing of theirs that I had really heard. And it was a very big deal for me. I mm. listened to that record literally hundreds of times and um, uh, I absolutely love it through the process of recording. I think there were like two songs that I actually needed to have, the lyrics therefore because everything else i just like knew already mm -hmm. um so that process was really special moving into the ep that we released last october of sunless realms that was the first thing that i had written for the band lyrically and while it was a bit of a departure um thematically from the end of an era or the path of apotheosis i tried to keep a similar vibe as far as the band's identity or you know a lot of the previous inferior material uh utilizes a lot of different rhyming schemes mm -hmm. and the songs build a certain way to capture a story and so i really focused on making sure that those elements were present so that way it sounded like inferior and it didn't necessarily sound like me trying to push the band in some different direction did you want to push things in a bit of a personal direction a bit as well? Was that possible or was it was the first, like the most primary thing, making sure that you had that kind of continuity? For me, the primary was definitely making sure that the continuity was there. Mm -hmm. um, since it like 
since the path of apotheosis and the end of an era were such big records for me as a fan, it, it didn't really like everything felt very natural. Uh, it was a, it was a very stressful process just because the crunch for time um, in getting the stuff for the EP done and then working on the record. Uh, but it was a very natural process. Like I didn't really feel like I had to, alter my writing style drastically to fit in with that because it was something that I had kind of like grown with over time. Because um, one thing we didn't notice is that, so for the first uh, album that you uh, sang with uh, in Ferry, the, um, there were a bunch of references to kind of Greek mythology, uh, Slayer of Cerebus, uh, Bull of Minos, uh, Phlegethon, which I know I'm mispronouncing. Yep. Uh, it's also like Dante's Inferno City of Dis. And we've seen on some of your other projects like Ashen Horde's Profound Darkness mentions a Grim Pharos, which is, I believe, the lighthouse of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of, these themes of mythology and especially kind of Greek uh, and I guess medieval mythology seem to come up on a number of your projects. What really brings you kind of to explore these sort of topics? What do you think is the the value of, of doing so in your work? Um, so... The End of an Era Rebirth, uh, I didn't write on. Uh, it was a re-recording of the original record. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't really uh, answer that um, as posed, but I can speak on the topic of saying, I feel like um, there are a number of pantheons, Greek especially, mm-hmm. that just kind of are part of the lifeblood of metal. You, know, you see them, <laughs> yeah. you see them reoccurring in so many different bands. Same thing with like Egyptian pantheons and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You know, bands like Nile. I think mm. that those sort of uh, eras are they lend themselves to both the fantasy and the amount of brutality that can be found and fits the music. You know, a, a lot of the stories and a lot of the places are full of events that are very human and very visceral Mm -hmm. um and i think that's sort of a thing that you know lots of bands play on on uh, or play with that sort of mythology just because they are broadly speaking things that lots of people learn a little bit about at some point whether it's you know watching uh different fantasy films as a kid or reading the odyssey or the like you know anything like that the iliad um so I think that there are things that, uh, broadly speaking, a lot of people find digestible and interesting or can just relate to because they have absorbed some of that material in some way, shape, or form. Well, there did seem to be like a bit of a thematic shift between the lyrics on that album and the EP of Sunless Realms in that um, there seemed to be, for the EP, you seem to kind of move from the mythology to more depictions of like modern terror. I believe there's like songs about grave robbing, necromancers. There's some Lovecraft references, etc. Uh, was this thematic shift something that was difficult to do, or that you were kind of nervous about at all? So the thematic shift for that was actually um, my idea. Uh, mm-hmm. Of Sunless Realms is a collection of Lovecraftian inspired stories. Um, Each of them is sort of, I guess I should say, a twist on uh, different Lovecraftian lore. So cycling through the record, um, the aberrant art uh, or the abhorrent art, I don't really, you know, tomato, tomato. (laughs) Um, 
that song is uh, just kind of like a retelling of The Hound. So I tried to, which is funny because at first I was like, man, this story, I really like this story. It's only like five pages long. I don't know if there <laughs> is, is enough here for me to run with. And then as I was writing it, I, find my, I found myself having to cut out so many different things that I wanted to explore. And I was like, man, the story is only five pages, but like what? a ride it takes you for like that's that's freaking <laughs> awesome you know um so it was kind of a play on that story uh or like a retelling i guess and uh moving into eldritch evolution that one is um sort of a reimagining of the entity from the color out of space like touching down and sort of uh re reshaping the planet um i kind of took the took the theme and sort of ran with it as well what if it was unchecked and didn't eject itself back into space and it was mm. just sort of able to spread and like uh reimagine the entire planet before lifting off um spellbound unearth terror kind of deals a little bit more with a character who finds the necronomicon after uh mm. like in the midst of this sort of zombie invasion um and then finally, Aeon's Torn is uh, about the Starry Night Cult finally fulfilling the prophecy in Waking Cthulhu. So um, it did definitely shift the, the band into a different trajectory. But I think as far as the way the stories were told and the way that the lyrics come across um, in terms of my vocals or just reading them alone on paper, I feel like it still stands as something very much in theory. It's really interesting because uh, obviously like a lot of your songs do feature like Lovecraftian references, references to Greek mythology, but as you said, in the kind of construction of the stories that you've created for these different songs, it seems like you've integrated a different approach to these kind of very common themes that appear quite often in metal. Was it in your mind when you were writing about them that you wanted to adopt a slightly like different approach approach to what's otherwise like relatively as you said yourself like uh, archetypal in metal yes uh well with the lovecraftian stuff especially um so the process for writing for of sunless realms was a bit of a time crunch because we had these extra songs and we were already actually working on the uh record that we are going to um you know by the time this podcast airs uh i guess you know we'll have said stuff about it so uh we'd already started work on vile genesis and we were like well let's let's do this ep also because we have these extra songs so <laughs> i i like stopped working on that and was like uh you know and vocally i'm the last one to do the thing so everyone mm -hmm. else had been well into like writing their parts and stuff and i was just like oh cool four more songs for me to work on great <laughs> thanks thanks um you know, riff overload, but uh, <laughs> the approach for that record, I had kind of wanted to dive into something like that for quite a while. So uh, I ran it past the guys. Everybody was cool with it. So what I did at that point is I know that there are um, a number of bands that have done their sort of spin on that. So uh, I went over to, there's this fantastic website um, that I like to use to look at bands lyrics called darklyrics.com. Mm -hmm. And so I just like went over and, you know, I read a bunch of lyrics from like bands like Soul for Aeon and stuff like that. People that I know dabble in that. And I kind of like 
looked at thematically like what do they do what what sorts of things do they use to link their work to Lovecraft and one thing that I found was very common um, was there would be lyrics that were obviously written by the band and then there would just be like a section or a couple sections where it's like reading this on paper I can tell that these lines are not written by the same person and so like they had actually like you know different different bands that actually like adapted sections from uh, Lovecraft's work mm-hmm. into their songs which I think do a really great job of, of tying those things together but with the exception of the phrase ia ia Cthulhu Fathagen I wanted to not do that at all just so I was like well cool like I think it's cool that other people do it but I want to challenge myself to sort of make this connection by taking um, like borrowing artifacts from his work and telling it with my words and hopefully being able to convey those things. And I feel like that kind of put a little bit of a different touch on it, um, especially the fact that they're not all just completely like retelling. Like there are Mm. different elements to songs that are sort of reimagined or, you know, kind of, kind of take a little bit of a different path to get to the same end. So I think that that was definitely something that helped kind of, have it stand alone uh, amongst its peers. Why do you think Lovecraft in general is such a kind of popular topic uh, for, you know, the lyrics of metal songs? I think the thing that makes it really popular is the fact that he's able to create a number of really iconic things by causing you to conjure your own worst image rather than being like this thing was two stories tall and had (laughs) you know like listing all of these features it sort of it gives you like these words that itself are kind of disturbing or gross and gives you enough detail to push you in a direction but not enough that you can imagine 100 percent exactly like what this thing is and Mm. so i think what that's part of what makes cosmic horror so alluring is that the boundary of a lot of the descriptors in it are limited only to what you yourself can imagine and that's also what makes it more scary right is because you have to like fill in those gaps with your own imagination (laughs) exactly exactly yeah (laughs) one that we noticed kind of across your lyrics um while they're you know the lyrics for each band as we mentioned are quite distinct but we did see something come up again uh and again which was that you seem to uh have a uh kind of common use of rhyme uh for instance the song condemned assailant rhymes plea knee mercy and dead head use noose um engage in drowning sullen has the couplet the harbingers of death chant for dying breath uh, and on your newest release has some complex rhymes like phenomena, automata, fantasy, flea, reality, or the rather blunt, uh, the deeds of my seed, bleed, greed, succeeded. Uh, and even on, say, Equipos, you have a tomb, gloom, womb, rhyme, uh, excuse me, rhyme we found. Uh, Memories of the Wanderer by Tethys has a slave to those I must save, lest I'm forced to live the trip to the grave. Is this, are these uses of rhyme something that you are like aware of and intentionally adding or is it something that just happens or you know what do you kind of feel brings you back to rhyme as a technique within producing metal lyrics um that's a really good question uh so 
for the stuff on Revenant. Um, that was actually prior to me being in the band. So those were the things that uh, mm. largely Malcolm and the previous vocalist Sam worked on. But the majority of what you just listed were other things um, that I was a part of. And the rhyming schemes are very much uh, something that I do intentionally. I really enjoy utilizing that for storytelling. And I think that first and foremost, it kind of creates a, um, it, it goes back to like that EDH mindset of <laughs> when I determine when and where the rhymes are going to fall before I actually write the, like the words, it sort of gives me this, um, this trajectory to put myself on and then have to like get creative of cool. Well, how can I, how can I do this without sounding too wordy? And then also, where can I shift the words to so that like some, some things fall on near rhymes rather than like the thing that you might be anticipating to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I like playing with stuff like that. Uh, one of the ones that you had mentioned was from the first song on our new record. And it was, uh, so the complete line alternates between these two different rhyming schemes. There's two different parts. And the first one is unlocking the AI phenomena, mankind devolves into automata, mm. digitized augmented fantasy from rhapsody to dreams they flee, their minds free of reality. And then I mirror that with uh, integrated into society, currency and hive mind psychiatry, cybernetic life force invasion of unknown source that guides the course of Earth's future without remorse. Um, one, it's it's fun for me to do with my mouth. So okay. <laughs> it's 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 enjoyable. Uh, it, it rolls off the tongue in a in a way that I find very pleasing, and that's something that as a performer helps a lot. Uh, I don't write things that are often emotional because. I mean, frankly, I'm just, I'm not a very emotional person, honestly. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I'm not like devoid of any of those kinds of things, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. I feel like I'm usually pretty even kiltered about stuff, uh, which is why I tend to write things that are more like story driven than mm. emotionally driven. Um, you know, I, I do tend to tether those things from time to time. Uh, but one thing that I have found is very fun for the performance aspect is doing things that like actually feel good rolling off your tongue, like when you're saying them. So the rhymes definitely lend themselves to that, I feel. Right. And does the alliteration serve a similar purpose? Because we noticed that, you know, in looking at all this wordplay, there's a lot of uh, rhyming schemes that are coupled with some alliteration. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for instance, you've got modern marvels combined with an ancient artifact, artificial, autonomous, yet intertwined or rise to retake in fervent state. Uh, mm -hmm. So is this alliteration like intentional? Did you want to create these kind of layers of wordplay in your lyrics? Sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not. Uh, there are certain things that kind of just end up writing themselves, funnily enough. Like once I get to a certain point, um, I'll, I'll just kind of be in that flow state and then it just falls out. I'm like, I don't know where this came from, but cool. Thanks, Muse. <laughs> like, you know, what, like what, what, um, there are certain times where it is intentional and uh, I feel like it kind of just like funnels in the vision. And like I said uh, with the previous question, sometimes it's something that just feels nice rolling off the tongue. And so I, I kind of, I'll say it uh, a couple different ways or I'll write a phrase a couple different ways and then I will tweak them until it sort of like feels good coming out. 
Hmm. When you read other bands' metal lyrics, do you ever get a little disappointed if there's no rhyming or no alliteration or anything like that? <laughs> uh, sometimes, yes. <laughs> De- definitely. I-, I get that it's not for everyone and it you know, doesn't need to be everywhere. But um, I don't know. I feel like they're, they're, there's just, for me, there's just this charm to it. Even when it's just once in a while, it, it can add a little bit of flair um, especially if you're playing with near rhymes and you mm. can sort of do a thing where you set yourself on track for something and then, um, you know, you take a twist because it's this thing that has a similar flavor, but it is not like a perfect rhyme. It doesn't fall directly in line with the, the preceding scheme. Along similar lines, like, would you be bummed out if like listeners or fans didn't pick up on all of this like, extensive work that you've put into like the rhyming scheme and the alliteration, the wordplay? Uh, I can't really say that I would be bummed out because, um, <laughs> you know, there there are. I feel like it's 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 a smaller cluster of people that are metal fans that pay like very close attention to lyrics. But I think that's one of the things that's so rewarding about it is that a lot of the times when I am able to talk to people about it and they're excited, that's what gets me like super excited and then we get to talk about it and go over things or um i have a i have an acquaintance via instagram um that had written a paper for university uh Mm. about the use of lovecraftian themes in metal and he wrote like this 10 page paper and i i only i've only seen bits and pieces of it um largely because it's in German and German to English translation is not always great. It, you know, like via Google translate. Yeah. Um, I definitely don't speak German. Uh, but I just thought it was really cool because he, he hit me up and he was like, Hey man, do you mind if I ask you some questions about this? Um, uh, I'm writing this paper for university and, you know, I really like of sunless realms and, um, I just wanted to get a little more clarity on a couple things. And so we were able to have a back and forth and I was more than happy to do that. And super excited to see that that was something that he like submitted to his professor. Uh, Mm -hmm. that was really cool. Or, I mean, even when it boils down to, I'm sure everybody has been to a metal show where you see someone like mouthing along, but they're obviously not saying what is being said, (laughs) but like as a vocalist, when you see the people that do get it, especially mm-hmm. like a lot of our songs are kind of wordy or very have like very fast passages. When you see those people that do it and you can tell that they're doing it, mm-hmm. it's incredibly satisfying. Um, we were in, uh, I want to say Virginia with uh, a Legion. And I noticed there was this girl in the front row who knew every single word to quest for the Trinity and that song is like pretty vocally intensive. And so the whole time I was just like, kind of like half paying attention to like, dude, she's still nailing it. Like this is awesome. <laughs> like it was super cool. <laughs> Have you ever had fans come up after a show and chat with you about your lyrics? Yeah, it, it happens from time to time. And like I said, I, I always welcome stuff like that. I typically end up doing merch for us a lot just because I have the least amount of stuff on stage to take care of you know so mm-hmm. I, I come up the latest and I'm usually the first one to leave because I don't have to like break the things down and take them off the stage um, so I usually directly go to the merch table and um, 
here and there, people will come up and ask me questions, just like clarifying things uh, or piecing the story together and stuff like that. And it's always a really fun conversation to have because um, experiences and connotations of words can lead people to very different places. So there are occasions where someone will come up and they'll have a very different understanding of like what the story is, but they'll have like certain elements that are right. And then, you know, I'll ask them like, well, cool. Like, where did you get this from? And they'll kind of explain it to me. Um, but I guess that kind of just breaks down to like, you know, different words have different connotations for different people. So um, can lead you to different places. Has anyone ever like been led to a place you didn't want them to go? Like, has anyone ever said like, this is how I interpret the song and you've had felt like, no, no, sorry, I need to, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not in a negative way. Um, but there definitely have been kind of like the opposite where they have taken it in like much more of like a, a, a serious virtuous kind of thing. And I'm like, mm. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad that that's really positive for you, but that's 100% not what I was going for. But <laughs> cool. Yeah. Great. Um, or, you know, I feel like it, there are definitely like authors for books. Like I remember being in English class and a uh, teacher would just be going over all of these things about like, Oh, why this is the greatest novel. And there are certain points where I'm like, is this something that you took yourself or like, did the author really intend a hundred percent of these things that you have walked away with? Or, you know, is some of this stuff that is just related to your personal life or your personal experiences. And so you've taken a slightly different message maybe than what was left there. That's kind of true with Lovecraft in a way, isn't it? Cause a lot of things that he wanted people to take away are pretty horrible. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah no absolutely <laughs> yeah it brings up the interesting question of like you know to what extent like the author is responsible for the interpretation of what they write versus you know what agency do like the readers have or in this case like the listeners have in kind of inserting their own interpretation into your lyrics is that something as well that you embrace or um resist yeah what's your take on I mean, it i mean uh i I feel like, it, especially in this day and age, it's something that you kind of have to embrace just because information is so widespread. Once you create an IP, I feel like it is yours up until the moment you put it out. And then once hmm. you put it out, it's kind of something that you have to share with people, whether you like it or not. And that's just because, you know, different people are going to digest it differently and take away different things. And sometimes it's a really positive thing. Sometimes it's something that might bum you out, but um, ultimately whatever you're, whatever it is that you create is only yours as long as it's yours. Like once you put it out there for other people, like it just, it's going to grow and do a whole nother thing. Hmm. Going back to some of the kind of the specific uh, language choices with and fairy on both the albums that you've sung on and didn't write and the stuff that you have written. Uh, there's been not always, but there's at least one song on each album that uses kind of archaic pronouns like thou, thy, or thee. And mm -hmm. there's kind of splatterings of Latin that can be found across a few songs. Is this, what, what's kind of the goal in using these, you know, ye olde language styles? I feel like part of it is just that it's a departure from a lot of things that you read nowadays. And so it kind of gives it this bit of, uh, like lyrically, it's kind of like a, a, a more historic feeling 
fingerprinting. And since a lot of our stuff is fantasy driven, mm -hmm. uh, I feel like it kind of just pushes the reader a little more into that spectrum. Mm. So like differentiates it more from like an everyday context. Is that the idea? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm -hmm. mm. Is that also kind of the motive behind the use of sort of difficult and archaic vocabulary and lyrics like uh, I'm going to miss pestiferous sentient pandemic recreates the world in its cruel aesthetic, a cradle of cellular malefaction. Um, are those kind of, you know, quote unquote, big words, you know, multisyllabic words, are those involved in a similar effect or is there a different intent in using that kind of vocabulary? So for that sort of thing, it kind of lends itself to, um, kind of like I said earlier with like writing the sort of patterns for things and mm -hmm. sort of creating the rhythmic effect that I would like for the piece. But also, yes, um, it, it does lend itself to that as well. Uh, for the writing of, Unsun of Sunless Realms, I wanted to try to, um, I was trying to create this sort of effect of something that might have been written in a similar era of like when Lovecraft was writing. And so uh, there definitely are um, some kind of like wordy mm. <laughs> passages and stuff like that, just because reading through his works, like that's, you know, that is a similar effect as certain things that, um, that he used to, to convey different ideas. But like the, some of these big terms, you know, we do see on uh, the upcoming album as well. Is there like, do you find that they have a, an impact at say, you know, simpler terms that mean more or less the same thing would not? Um, I don't think that they're necessarily more impactful. Uh, I feel like it's one of those things too, where like, there are definitely certain words that people might not be as familiar with. So they'd be like, oh, well, what, what the heck does this mean? Mm -hmm. And so the, the people that do dig into it, if they come across terminology that they're not necessarily familiar with, it's kind of one of those things of like, oh, cool. Well, this is like uh, a simile for this other thing that I know. And then they mm -hmm. kind of like walk away with a, a sort of different flavor. Um, but usually uh, kind of what it lends itself to is just sort of the way that it rolls off the tongue and then kind of matching up with the rhythmic ideas and stuff like that that I create. And then the, the, the rhyming schemes are definitely another one as well, mm -hmm. because there are certain ones that like, I'm like, ah, oh, man, um, you know, I, I do uh, like to create um, like different rhyming schemes that sort of mirror themselves in different passages, like when the riff comes back later on and stuff like that. So sometimes you got to get uh, a bit creative with how I actually am able to like convey the part or get it across so that it falls in line with that same sort of thing. Right. And considering earlier we were saying that the demographic of people who listen to metal who will actually look at the lyrics that are associated with metal songs, um, would you say that given that you've included a lot of like archaic or difficult terminology that that demographic is then just even smaller? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably, probably. But, uh, you know, I feel like um, a lot of people that are fans of like uh, like adult sci-fi or adult fantasy mm -hmm. or even rowing back to um, how we were talking about with like the different like Greek and Egyptian mythology or um, different like archaic pantheons and stuff like that. I feel like there are a number of those things that 
words will just jump out at people. It was like, oh, cool. Yeah. I'm, I read this with so-and-so like I'm, I'm familiar mm-hmm. with this. And so it, it is just another thing to sort of uh, anchor it into that spectrum of writing. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, for other people, it's like, cool, like learn new words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's funny you say that. Cause one of our first interviews with Andy Hudson of Harlot, um, he was saying that if, uh, you know, he writes an album and nobody learns a new word. He's failed. So <laughs> is yeah, that something no. you actually think about? Like, hey, like somebody's going to read this and, you know, if they learn a new word, all the better, you know? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily um, my intent, but like I've certainly learned a number of new words just like mm. writing because I'm like, oh, man, you know, this is an idea that I'm trying to get across, but I don't necessarily like the way this word rolls off the tongue or like there's not enough syllables here or you know which way can I sort of shape this so that um I can get this idea across that I want and so yeah that it's it's kind of changed the way that I view language or even the way that I speak at times uh definitely my writing style back to uh the interview that uh I know you listened to with um uh Artspire, uh, are you the? We had a discussion about whether or not it's okay to use a thesaurus. Where do you kind of fall on that? <laughs> uh, I I I like it. Uh, I'm 100% cool with it. Um, it's one of those things where like I don't 100% go into it as, um, yeah, everything's got to be like crazy over the top words and stuff like that. I do want things to be digestible, and I don't want someone to just look at a page and think that it's crazy alphabet soup that makes no sense. (laughs) So there, while there are passages that are kind of like wordy, like the one from Eldritch evolution that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. I try to keep things to where they serve the purpose of, uh, of um, the section of the story that they're trying to get across. But, you know, I don't, I don't think there is any, uh, any harm in using the source. Um, one thing that I do think is kind of funny is uh, they're in Slam for quite a while. Uh, I, f- there, I feel like there was this trend of just like the craziest, longest um, medical verbiage you would see w- mm. would just be like the song titles or band names or uh, stuff like that, which was kind of cool at times. I'd just be like, all right, well, what even is that? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, <laughs> huh? You know, but then there are other things where I've like used it as a uh, uh, learning opportunity. I'm like, oh, so that's what a hemicorpectomy is. Okay, <laughs> interesting. Interesting. What? Cool, 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 cool. cool. <laughs> uh, a hemicorpectomy is um, so the the black dahlia murder. Uh, Elizabeth Short. Mm-hmm. Uh, hemicorpectomy is what happened to her. So they bisected oh, okay. her without harming any of her internal organs, and that's like the medical term for that procedure. It's like cutting something in half without rupturing any of the uh innards awesome letting cool. you in today <laughs> yeah yeah try to use it uh you know day-to-day life <laughs> but you were just saying before that like you know you have to strike a balance right between like using some vocabulary that's appropriately like complex to kind of fit with the story and the genre that you're working within but you know not use it so much that it becomes you know as you said alphabet soup right how do you strike that balance like how do you find the point where it's uh, just the right amount of complexity so there's a couple stages with this one. Usually I'll go through and I'll write and then 
I like to read the songs on their own without listening to the music and just see like one, does this make sense? Like if I, if I just like picked up something and it was a book of short stories and I read this, would I, as a reader be able to walk away having an idea of what's going on? And <laughs> yep. so that's, that's ultimately the goal um, is just trying to find that balance of things where the way that I word things is something that can sound intriguing, but isn't overwhelming. Um, and then I also like to utilize peer review for that, you know, so I will mm -hmm. type things up, send them to my bandmates and I'll just be like, Hey, what do you guys think about this? And, um, you know, sometimes they'll be like, Oh, maybe we should ask this part or, you know, do you have something else for this or whatever? Um, and that's kind of how I mold it from there. I like a as a lyricist, my goal is to my goal is to tell a story that I think is interesting. And as a vocalist, I want to serve the song vocally in a way that makes sense and helps to push things forward. And as a nerd, if I can't <laughs> tell a story that puts you in uh, like in the seat of the person experiencing the thing, then I have failed in all three roles. So that that's kind of like my approach to to that sort of thing. So speaking of uh, stories on your newest album, and we'll try to be you know vague here, not to uh, give things too much away, but there does seem to be the story appears to involve a theme about uh, technology, uh, mm -hmm. lyrics like chains that bond you to your black mirror prison, men are besought and bewitched by their machines, uh, from dust and sand rose the digital veil with the roots to enslave you all seem to speak kind of negatively about humankind's relationship to technology in a way. If we are interpreting this correctly, is this sort of commentary on, I guess, society and humanity, something that you felt was a challenge that you, you know, attempted in this album, or is this something that has kind of always been part of your lyrics and lyric writing process? So you picked that up perfectly. Um, so to, cool. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to, to sort of, set the stage for it um biogenesis takes place hundreds of years after the path of apotheosis mm -hmm. and so the events of the path of apotheosis involve the anunnaki uh coming to earth seeding mankind as slaves there's this crazy war between uh the two brothers um and then the promethean kings leave the planet leaving mankind to inherit the earth essentially um, so this album begins hundreds of years after that, where man is the apex predator and it's the dominant species on the planet has grown and evolved, um, beyond where we are currently in technology and has kind of, um, begun to escape from day to day life. So that, uh, one of the lines that you brought up earlier um from rhapsody to dreams they flee their minds free of reality involves so there's this thing that is created i guess you could draw a parallel to Neuralink that is a hive mind and it allows people to exist within a shared space um kind of like it'd be a mental manifestation of a place like the internet or a place of your entire own design where your senses completely drop into and 
you know, because of what it does to your brain, your body cannot discern the physical difference between you being in this state or being in like waking life. Um, and so that is sort of the state that the world has gotten itself to. And uh, technology like sort of caused them to break away from their waking life. And mm. the root of this technology, unbeknownst to man, is an Anunnaki artifact that itself has intent and is enticing people into this rabbit hole away from reality um, and then is able to use this uh, hive mind that it has created to ensnare the humans that are linked to it and take over their bodies to serve its purpose, which uh, I, I don't want to elaborate too much more on the story from that, but it's sort of, you know, allowed, uh, influence them to connect themselves this way so it, it could ultimately turn them into puppets. Is that all science fiction, though, or is there links to kind of how we use technology today that you're kind of commenting on as well? Like when I read the line, um, uh, chains that bond you to your Black Mirror prison, I understand that in the story, there's the, the artifact you're talking about, but I kind of mm -hmm. interpreted that as, as a cell phone. Yeah, no, I, I mean, like, it's not, uh, I mean, yes. <laughs> so, so going going through with this record, um, there is a bit of social commentary that is told side by side with the story. Mm -hmm. And I think that you guys did a really good job of like picking up on the different things for it. Um, and so that was kind of the intent from the get go. Uh, when Malcolm and I were talking about what direction to take this story that was definitely a thing that was brought up as mm -hmm. cool. Like what kind of parallel can we draw to this and not make it like preachy per sure. se, but, but have enough of it in there that like, you know, as you're reading, it's something that you can pick up on and will actually kind of get you to think about it outside of the context of the story that you're being told. Mm -hmm. I was just going to ask, um, you know, is there a kind of message that you're hoping that um, listeners, fans take away from this commentary or is it more just like, you know, get them to think about it? Ultimately, I just kind of want to get people to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily uh, like one specific interpretation of that because I think that people ingest technology different and it's something that serves a very different role in different people's lives you know some people um i mean i'm sure we're all aware of of uh at least one person who is like constantly on social media mm. and it's a source of um it's kind of like a very negative echo chamber for them they're mm -hmm. kind of constantly comparing themselves to other people or uh, you know, kind of get caught in that cycle of like, well, man, why are these people happy and I'm not happy? Or why are these people doing these things and I'm not doing these things? Um, and I know that that's definitely like something that's happened to me in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like it's just kind of important to acknowledge that while there are really awesome opportunities and like friendships that are made or people that meet each other after, you know, being friends on the internet for years and years, and that's fucking awesome. Or in my case, even joining bands because of the internet, like Equipoise exists because of the internet. Without the internet, there very likely would have never been any Equipoise anything. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, even just looking at it this way, like I live in Texas. 
no i'm in four bands no one in any of the bands that i'm in live in texas right so so you know the internet can be a wonderful tool but i do think it's each and every person's own responsibility to sort of look into that in the same way that you would pontify your own actions and think about like, man, what kind of effect is this having on me? Am I constantly always reaching for my phone all the time, even though I have no notifications or nothing's happening? Am I constantly trying to escape into this thing? Do I constantly need to be stimulated? Uh, those sorts of things. Mm. It's interesting because, uh, you know, social commentary and, you know, the role of um, you know, political topics and things like that has been a really kind of like hot topic in interviews that we've done and in like you know the metal sphere more generally uh we we're wondering like given on um, not just in fairy but also um you know uh lyrics from ashen horde um you know there's a lot of like potential i suppose to interpret those lyrics as social commentary as we've said or as um, having relevance to contemporary political context like do you think that it's a challenge uh to write lyrics for you know, a recognizably metal band that do have this relationship to politics and the social world? I think that it can be difficult at times. I think that one of the more difficult things about it is especially given our genre, it's something that is not the most easily, uh, easily digestible things, you know, mm. um, just given the vocal style and stuff. Mm. But I do think that those sorts of um, like those sorts of ideologies and that kind of commentary about things is itself like kind of interwoven in metal, you know, like mm. metal is largely seen uh, and experienced as this sort of um, rebellious, almost countercultural sort of thing. You know, it is, it's, it is its own, small society within part of a larger group. And uh, I feel like a lot of people that are very entrenched in the community often forget like actually how small metal is compared <laughs> to so many other things, you know, cause like even thinking about it at work, aside from uh, this audio warehouse that I used to work at, a lot of the day jobs that I've had, I have been like the metal guy and that's mm. it. Like there are a couple other people that are like, oh yeah, man, like I, you know, I've fucking metallica bro yeah <laughs> sick um but but like that's it like extreme metal is a very small portion of yeah. uh of our population and i think that one thing that a lot of people in the community share are um these sort of passions about different takes on social commentary mm -hmm. and their opinion of of how these things go what about the risk of like uh a take that might go beyond sort of what you would intend. Like for instance, um, in the new album, there's lyric, if we are to survive, we must deprive the wicked of their lives to outlive these fiends who must abandon our humanity. Uh, within the album itself, I kind of took this as uh, the perspective of a character in the story who is kind of going all out on a last ditch effort to sort of save humanity, but uh, which again, may, may be incorrect, but what if that is read as uh, you know, day to day, I suppose. Is there is there a risk in exploring kind of horror <laughs> themes that people think, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, uh, Stevie uh, is absolutely telling me that that I should abandon my humanity to achieve my goals. Like, is, is what, what would happen? <laughs> is that yeah. is that possible, or or do you think is a metal audience familiar enough with kind of how metal works, or I mean, is it just something that might happen in any kind of artistic endeavor? 
I feel like that's something that could happen in any sort of artistic endeavor, because, I mean, even if you look at comic books, you know, like, uh, for instance, like the Avengers or Captain America, that plays really heavily on like, we are the good guys, you are the bad guys, the people that you represent are the bad guys, you must be eradicated or you must be stopped kind of deal. Um, so I think that's where you hope that people can draw the line between fantasy and reality. Mm -hmm. Um in the context of uh, the lyrics that you had mentioned, um, the song Mesmeric Horror is actually, uh, it's about the clashing of the two types of humans that are left on the planet at this point. Um, there are the untethered, which is the civilization that chooses to live their lives similarly to how we live. Um, you know, their, their minds are unaltered. They don't have... Um, the ability to connect to that like hive mind that is created. Mm -hmm. So they're people like us, the perspective from the character that you mentioned specifically are people like us. And then there are um, the fiends that the character is referring to, which are those that are, um, they're essentially like imprisoned in their own minds and their, <clears throat> their bodies have become puppets to serve the purpose of the the master of uh of the story so um yeah i suppose like building on that um or i suppose even diverging from that a little bit we could um talk as well about like what isn't in your lyrics we talked a lot about what is there and um you know something that we've noticed um that kind of links into this discussion around you know a lot of the common criticisms of metal is um you know discussions of violence because we've noticed that like although certainly there are like some elements of your lyrics that could be described as violent they don't really involve any explicit gore or like detail of violent acts um you know there's nothing that we'd you know say is on the level of like you know a cannibal corpse lyric that mm -hmm. gets mentioned almost every episode i'd yeah. say so yeah. like is this something that you like uh actively try and avoid yes um i feel like it's something that is very abundant in the genre and so while I do like to depict certain scenes of things that are going on, um, I tend to sort of just like paint over those things in a broad stroke. So uh, I think that like a, a solid example of like a thing that I would find to be something that kind of leaves enough detail to the reader to sort of create their own imagery of what's going on, but is specific enough that there are like hints kind of pushing you in a direction is uh, in that same song in, in Mesmeric Horror, um, there's a passage towards the end that is clutching the carcasses of our deceased spider-like droplets creep from its wrist. I watch in Mesmeric Horror as they crawl inside, causing the lifeless to writhe. Um, is the passage about the these crazy nanobots sort of reanimating their fallen um, but it skips over like the entire gore of like, ah, oh, yes, these people were brutally murdered mm. um, just because, you know, it has a place in the genre, but I just try to deviate away from it because it's so commonplace. Mm. Is that the reason you also uh, avoid like the use of swear words throughout your lyrics? We couldn't find any in, in any of the bands that you've written for. Yeah, I've actually, that's kind of been, um, I don't know. I like whenever I've written them into a song, I've always just been like, man, this kind of like, it doesn't, 
it feels almost disingenuous and uh, I, I, I feel like a, a lot of uh, I don't like I, I don't know I mean I definitely swear enough outside of songs that like on the one hand it is sort of uh, you know it gives me a way to work around using that in my lyrics but um, I don't know I also I feel like it's one of those things that I've seen it done so much that it like doesn't mean anything anymore. It's like, you know, like I might as well just read the word neighbor or, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it, it never feels impactful anymore. I mean, maybe when I was like 16, 17, 18, I might've been like, Oh dude. Yeah, totally. Um, but I feel like it, it just kind of doesn't really, I don't know. I, I stay away from it because it's been so long since I have even been moved by something like that, that it, I just try not to put it out because it doesn't do anything for me. Right. And this is a comment that we've had as well, especially from like musicians in Australia, right? Because mm -hmm. obviously our culture is known for swearing quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and people have said similar things. Is it like just that like these swear words don't really have the kind of like offensive punch that they used to have or that kind of like shocking effect is lacking now? Yeah, I think that the I think people have become so desensitized to it. And then also like to a certain effect, I feel like it's um, it's almost it's almost like cringy at times where I'm just like, mm. really? Like couldn't come up with anything more <laughs> clever than that or you know and I, I I do understand that for some people it's it's very visceral and like I'm not going to tell anyone not to do it mm. but just personally for me a lot of times when it comes up it just like doesn't really add a whole lot to like what it, I am getting as a listener mm. Mm. so this kind of does this kind of go back to something you said kind of earlier in the interview that you want to sort of like you talked about how adding rhymes and alliteration stuff kind of makes things fun. Do you think that just putting swear words in your lyrics would, would make them less, like, you know, as a kind of broad term, fun to sing for you? Yeah. Uh, and like going back to it, uh, I also feel like performing a thing like that, part of the reason that I don't enjoy writing emotional things is because they are often things that I feel in the moment and not mm. things that I carry with me necessarily. Um, I, I like to believe that I'm a pretty even kiltered person. And so writing things for me, like just as Stevie, like writing things that are emotional, like performing something like that would seem almost disingenuous because unless that is exactly what I'm feeling at that time, it's kind of just like, you know, all right, let me try to, convince you that this is how I feel about something as opposed to like with the sci-fi and horror and fantasy concepts I am continuously just like sort of painting this story again and again and mm -hmm. you know get to be excited about it and uh, that for me is a, a, a real source of joy and kind of pushes me as a performer because it's like all right cool let me sell you this story mm -hmm. i can i feel personally i can sell people stories i do not feel that i can sell people emotions so 
I kind of stay away from that. <laughs> Talk about selling people stories actually kind of links into um, a question that we had next because we wanted mm-hmm. to we wanted to focus an interview on uh, and ferry, but we did want to ask a little bit about your other bands. So yeah. with uh, Equipose, uh, the thing we were curious about is that you have tracks like A Suit of My Flesh and Walking Divinity that specifically reference uh, Von Hanheim, which is a character from Full Metal Alchemist. And you've done mm-hmm. interviews where you talked about how you wanted to write this album about Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, the Amestrian people from the show are mentioned. And we just kind of wondered, like, what's the, the concept for exploring stories from Japanese anime through a metal lens? was what was kind of the inspiration of this and was there any pushback like when you said hey i'm going to use i'm going to sing about an anime show was everyone like that's you can't do that that's not metal yeah so at the time uh brilliant question um at the time when i proposed it uh the band was just nick myself um our friend zach uh who is in the in the works originally and uh nick had sent me guitar profiles for a few songs and was like, yeah, this is the project I'm working on. Uh, let me know if you're interested. And I loved the material that he sent me. So we started working together and uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is like one of my favorite just stories, period, across any anything. It, it just it stands out. It, I resonate so much with it. I love so many of the characters. Um, it's one of the few stories that I have seen from beginning to end multiple times and like every single time I feel something which I think is fantastic uh so I pitched the idea to Nick and he had never seen it he's like I don't know man like this sounds kind of weird and I was like <laughs> dude watch the watch the first like watch the first like five episodes just give it like two hours if you don't like it we can do something else but I'm telling you just watch the first five episodes and then he binged the entire series in like (laughs) um and was like dude sold let's do it and i was like dude sick cool well the spin that i want to put on this is instead of telling the story from the protagonist's viewpoint i would like to tell it from uh father um starting as the dwarf in the flask which is the main antagonist from the series and it sort of shifts between like his perspective, um, some of the perspectives of other homunculi. Uh, and then in the first song, um, or well, the first song with lyrics, Sovereign Sacrifices, uh, it shifts the perspective of each of the main characters that is one of the quote unquote sacrifices um, to be made for father towards the end of the series. Um, but I really just wanted to explore that space. It's a story that I have loved for years. Uh, I have the Ouroboros tattoo on my chest and um, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it and was really stoked to do that because at the time I was just like, you know, it was uh, man, when did the EP come out? Cause the, the EP and the album share uh, songs. Um, they're just mm-hmm. revamped mm-hmm. for the album. And then we added a bunch of new stuff also. Um, but when the EP came out in like 26, 20- I think um 2016 20 yeah 2016 uh I'd never heard of like an American band that had been doing uh songs based off of anime right could be a thing that was out there um but you know I I just wanted to do it that way because I thought it was really cool and I loved the story it's kind of like it's weird to think about it in a way because because nerd stuff has always been kind of there in metal. Like Led Zeppelin sung about uh, you know, um Tolkien. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of metal fans that are huge geeks, but I, I hadn't seen, you know, my, myself included, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we were just chatting about magic before this interview even started, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, uh, but it, it was surprising because I, I hadn't seen a band specifically. I've seen a lot of horror stories. I've seen a lot of sci-fi stories. I've seen a lot of fatty stories, but I hadn't seen like explicit references to kind of, you know, nerd media in metal before was that was it was it a challenge to work it in in a metal way or to just kind of fit i feel like it just fit like the story itself is is pretty brutal i mean you know the the antagonist is trying to uh essentially like run this shadow government and outstretch it far enough that he can use a massive transmutation circle to take the lives of millions of people in order to um like gain immortality for himself and i mean beyond immortality just like gain um a a sort of omnipotence and so that in itself is incredibly sinister you know Mm. um it might not be brutal in the way of of uh you know like a like hammer smash face kind of brutal (laughs) or you know butchered at birth kind of brutal Mm. but it is uh i mean in a sense it's like genocidal Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, that's that's pretty damn brutal to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's it's interesting because on the one hand, like, you know, we've talked about all these albums where you've used like, uh, you know, material that does commonly appear in metal. And then on the other hand, you've got this stuff that seems at first glance to be almost like antithetical to metal. Like even the name in Fairy Red is like comes from Harry Potter, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny. I wanted to work the word in fury into one of the songs of, uh, on, of sunless realms. Um, and I tried to work it into spellbound unearth terror because the, the first line in the song is uh, a tome sequestered from prying eyes manifesto of dark wizards, fury, Stygian passages, call to command a legion of the undead. It was originally supposed to be Stygian passages, uh, call to command a legion of Unfury, uh, of Inferi. Um, but some of the dudes thought that might be a little too meta. And I was like, <laughs> I get that it's cheesy, but I feel like it's the right kind of like something being cheesy is only bad if you don't use the right kind of cheese. Like if you, you know, if, if right. you, if sure. you sharp cheddar when you should provolone, it's not going to be great. Um, but you know, it, it ended up getting getting changed. And I think that it turned out well, but I feel like it maybe could have been better the other way. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> Is there a limit to how much, you know, this stuff can be worked in? Like, could it be possible, do you think, to make a metal album about, like, I don't know, Sailor Moon or Pokemon or something like that? Are, are they brutal enough or... You know, does does the does the media that that it gets involved into a song have to have some kind of inherent darkness to to function? Um, I mean, I I don't think so. Actually, I think that you could. I, I've, <laughs> I think that you could write a metal song about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like there are some things that you would have to perhaps rely on either choosing to depict something in a way that sounds sinister, but might not be sinister, you know, just by playing with words. Uh, Or you could always fall back on just like doing something that is heavy and almost indistinguishable and yet still about Sailor Moon or Ponyo or, (laughs) you know, like, you know, you could, I mean, it, it would be really easy to write, 
a super sick metal record about almost any Miyazaki flick, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I see it. I see it. So, but uh, I, I just feel like depending on the, the subject matter, you might have to um, just rely on different aspects of yourself as a vocalist in order to make it like heavy. Yeah, oh, it's interesting. So I suppose like going back to, um, you know, discussion of Ashen Hall that we had earlier, we said uh, mm-hmm. we were talking about how a lot of the lyrics are now focused around issues of income inequality, right? Um, so we we're wondering, like, uh, I suppose, how do you blend something like income inequality into, like, you know, these other fantastical elements that you've integrated into songs? So uh, Ashen Horde is largely written by Trevor. Um, and uh, I sort of just modify things as I need to in order to, to um, help further the story or fill in passages. And so... Uh, I do know, I'm trying to remember what the book was, um, but speaking specifically about income inequality, uh, there is a novel that uh, that record, Fallen Cathedrals, was based on that essentially had a an extremely wealthy community um, that was sort of like wealth hoarding and uh Mm -hmm. taking resources away from people in lesser circumstance uh as a lyricist with that sort of thing in mind um i feel like the topic itself is really visceral and especially in today's climate and in different economies in the world is very relatable Mm. um so really the only thing that I could do in circumstances like that is just try to make it as personal for people as possible. Because I, I feel like, you know, most people in the world can relate to um, being very aware that there are, I mean, even perhaps people that like go to the same school or people that work for the same company or something like that, that either just start out way ahead of you because of uh, their quote unquote birthright or this economical situation that they're born into. Um, or some sort of position of power that they happen to attain that sort of puts them ahead of you in a uh, wealth, social, like different types of classes and stuff. Right. It's interesting just because like, I suppose I want to know, like, I think you're one of the only people we've spoken to that's actually tried to kind of bridge the divide between fantasy and reality within your lyrics. And I know obviously Ashen Horde's a bit of a different situation because Trevor's predominantly writing it, but even in that case, like, you know, you still have some input in how it's delivered. And I guess I was just wondering, like, how do you even kind of like conceptualize, I suppose, the alignment between these very kind of like realistic real world contexts that you're like writing or singing about and these also very like fantastical, um, you know, stories that you're also um, involving in your lyrics? Mm, Okay. Um, I think the easiest way that I can uh, explain the different approaches for them is just one of them typically like the fantasy stuff usually comes from uh just kind of crazy concepts that i come up with mm-hmm. whereas um thing things more similar to a lot of the ashen horde things are more real world more visceral topics um for stuff like that like the writing just 
comes from personal experience and also kind of just like taking in things from the world around me, you know, like, uh, I mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm not necessarily a super emotional writer when it comes mm. to stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, like I said, I do think that the division in class is very real for a lot of people. And a lot of people have definitely experienced the effects of those sort of things and the kind of opportunities that they have or are presented to themselves. So with that sort of thing, I kind of just like take some stuff from real world. Some of it comes from like books or stories Mm. uh, that I've read. And then I kind of just elaborate on stuff like that. So do you feel like there's like a separation? Like as in, sorry, just interrupted you. I meant like, um, yeah, like, do you feel like, okay, now I'm working in the real world versus like now I'm working in like a fantasy world? Or do you feel like Mm. there's more overlap between those contexts? I feel like there's quite a bit of overlap, actually. Mm. Um, Like you guys kind of picked up on with um, the underlying themes in Vile Genesis, like I usually have some sort of message in like different records about, uh, you know, like just different sort of moral stances uh, or things that can be taken away from it. So uh, fantasy and reality are often pretty interwoven. It's just with Ash and Horde, things tend to be a bit less fantastical. Like I just kind of dial that aspect back a bit and make it more um, personable as a believable character, you know, like they're, rather than um, going on this crazy quest and like slaying monsters or, you know, dealing with uh, the undead or anything like that. Um, They kind of just deal with the same sort of day-to-day issues that people that are in um, areas that are like very divided by class might experience. Mm. Uh, One, one, example that I often think of um, or like one image that I often think of is uh, I remember the first time I went to Seattle there is this very real area by a venue um, that we've played at where it's like in the middle of this crazy metropolis and there are all these super nice houses and like all of everything's fresh new uh, super gentrified and then literally across the street things are like disheveled tons of homeless people everywhere there's like literally burning furniture and stuff like that um, and so with working with stuff like fallen cathedrals like I try to harness experiences like that to like sort of tell the story that's going on um, drawing from real world experience Right. This actually kind of uh, so with with Tethys, uh, we've talked about at the very very beginning of this interview, going way back, how a lot of the lyrics like things like I'm uh, I'm a plane of infinite shapes, I exist to guide these pieces into place, are very kind of metaphorical. There's a lot of kind of spacey things, but then in the final song, uh, Central Transcendence, you have that. Can you imagine for just one moment where our lives would be if we focused on progress and not profits? Uh, spelled as you know a profit of a religion and profits as in money. That is, that is, you know, I think one of the most just kind of straightforward lyrics in anything of yours that we've read. And just is it tricky, I guess, to be that clear in a metal song? Is it was that like a risk? Do you feel that's something you could do often or does it have to be done very in very particular places? 
I think that boils down to what the message is in the song. Um, Astro Transcendence is a, uh, I feel like it's a, it's a good fusion of the sort of uh, space themes and concepts that the EP touches on, but then it like brings it down to earth. Mm. Um, it rather than, you know, being out in the cosmos, it's, it's like right at your front door. I do think that it is difficult to write like that um, for me personally, because I don't want to come like I enjoy writing fantasy stuff. So I like kind of tucking concepts away. I don't necessarily like being in people's face with stuff like that all of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and with that song in particular, it was really, uh, it was like kind of a thing that popped into my head because I was like, Oh, wait a second. Like, profits spelled monetarily or like in the theological sense like they are both things that i feel like keep people grounded and away from the rest of the stuff that i've been talking about so as a close you know bring things from a cosmological perspective down to earth and like make people think about well how do we get back to the first song on the ep which is all the mm. way out there mm -hmm. um that is pretty difficult for me um i feel like i don't really do it a ton uh but i also do feel like the way that storytelling for me goes a lot of times it's something that i kind of have to pick and choose where i'm able to do it so that it does not disrupt the momentum of the story uh whispers of creation is conceptual in the fact that like everything fits on theme but there isn't one singular narrative that every song is like working towards telling from beginning to end so i think uh we're probably up to our final question <laughs> yeah <laughs> finally uh, <laughs> sorry it's like gone, been a long interview but we had really interesting discussions yeah. i've no 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 you guys are good I'm, i I hope I didn't ramble too much. I uh, I, I tend to I tend to drift and sometimes <laughs> lose my train of thought. So you're you're no, in four you're for you're in me. you're in four bands. We expected this one to go a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, we just wanted to end by asking you, um, what do you ultimately think the role of lyrics is specifically within your own songs and within the extreme metal genre more broadly? Okay, um, I mean, largely for me, um, like I said earlier, uh, I am vocalist i'm the storyteller mm. and i am also the nerd my my job <laughs> the way the way that i view it is uh serve the song rhythmically by writing vocal patterns and stuff like that that are at times flashy but like you know do their job with pushing things forward and uh adding their own flavor um lyrically i want to write something that is interesting that i feel like you could read on its own away from the music and find it just as enjoyable as you know like it being like contextually like being like oh cool well these are song lyrics um that's kind of my goal there and as the nerd i want you to be immersed in this that like if you are interested enough to read the thing i want you to be immersed in it enough that like you know you can take the whole thing in and find it to be interesting and if i fail at one of those things, I feel like I fail at all three of those things. So I strive to deliver the best possible thing that my abilities allow me to. Um, overall, in metal, I think that uh, 
I mean, the position of lyrics is kind of whatever you want. Um, I, I don't think that anything is necessarily wrong. I do think that there are some things that are more interesting than others. But I mean, even even looking at bands that are kind of like on the rise and more popular right now, uh, they're all over the place. You know, you have um, mm-hmm. bands like Cattle Decapitation mm. that sing about uh, topics like mankind destroying the world and you know they have um just like small fingerprints of things uh, like promoting uh like vegetarianism and veganism and stuff like that uh you have bands like cytotoxin who are singing about like the dangers of nuclear power or um like nuclear holocaust or you know you also have uh huge bands like uh i don't know like deicide which is very Mm. just like anti-Christian in its own right. And I feel like there isn't really a wrong answer. And I feel like whether you're telling a story or whether you are trying to uh, just get your point across or you are trying to persuade someone that your idea is better than whatever is largely promoted or you're just venting your emotions, I think as long as you focus on serving the song and you write things lyrically um, that can be interesting or like just like, you know, aren't, aren't just unintelligible unga bunga. <laughs> fucking do your thing, bro. Like, <laughs> Awesome. Thanks. Um, yeah. That was really great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and so you have the new album, I believe, if given the timing, that will be out just before this interview comes out. Is that correct? So uh, we are announcing uh, congratulations. If it's past the 21st of July, you know that our new album, Vile Genesis, is coming out in September. Uh, okay. If it's past the 22nd, then hopefully you have seen the video for our new single mesmeric horror. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, new album Vile Genesis is on the way coming in September. Um, shortly uh, after that end of September uh, into October in is going to be touring with black crown initiate and archaic in the States. And uh, then January, we are going to Europe with uh, decapitated and black tongue and uh heart of a coward so if you are in those spots you should come check us out let's hang out let's talk about lyrics or nerd shit if you play magic <laughs> bring uh some edh and you know if we have time we can throw down <laughs> that's awesome and um yeah. where can uh listeners keep up with all of their latest news with each of your bands uh, so I myself, uh, you know facebook uh you can find me stevie boyser um or if you are on uh twitter or uh instagram well instagram is uh mcscreamy mc underscore screamy unfortunately that handle was taken on twitter so i had to go with screamy mc so uh yeah you can find me there uh or if you look up uh inferi official find a fury inferi tethys uh equipoise or ashen horde on any of those platforms as well i also have a link tree in my bio so if you just find me you got all the things <laughs> Okay, that's really easy. Excellent. Maybe I'll link yeah. that one in the show description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the easiest. Probably, yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. It's got all the stuff on there. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, 
thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. It's been uh, very, very interesting. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you for listening to Lingua Rutalica. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging.